0: This is written by Peter Scaretta, and it says this, uh. Hey! That-
1: Alright, all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Welcome, one and all, to episode 209 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the Howald Swerg Deutschwerft episode of the SLS cast. Because it turns out that there is a class of diesel electric attack submarine that's developed exclusively for export by Howald Swerg Deutschwerft of Germany. And that submarine is called the Type 209. And with that wonderful little bit of submarine knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee. Tim, did they call it the Type
0: 209 because not even Germans could pronounce that guy's last name? (laughs) It's
1: entirely possible.
0: What, What was it one more time? How old Swert Deutsch Yeah, that sounds about right. Did you take German when you were in? Oh no, you, no, you're currently taking Spanish, right? Or or you did take Spanish?
1: Uh, yeah. For a little while. Well, yeah, there we go. We'll do that. Spanish for a little while. Why not?
0: <laughs> yeah, as you can see, he did not even respond with a
1: C. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Taco Bell. Right now, I did have uh, some friends who did the German thing in high school uh i am i have german heritage as well so um you know there's a whole german german-esque action going on um but uh yeah i don't know it just is fun to say how would work deutsch i mean come on that's just fun to say get you know and it's always so angry have you ever noticed it's just everything so angry oh i mean you know they say that like french is like the language of love you know because it sounds so sexy and suave and stuff like that and and, and then... sometimes sometimes they sound like they smell something really bad when they speak <laughs> i suppose this is true so anyways though how the hell are you sir i am i'm doing good just
0: been you know hanging out enjoying the cool nice cool weather that's been blowing on in uh, in the nice little town of Mayberry la here uh, this town puts <laughs> up it's puts up like Christmas decorations I've never really lived anywhere in, in quite a while ever since I lived in Tomball I guess so it's been about five or six years since I actually lived in an area that properly decorated for Christmas and wow for some of you who might know or might remember I used to live in the West Hollywood Hollywood proper area, and there is, maybe you know this or not, a lot of Jewish folk that live in that area, um, and I mean, like, Hasidic Jewish folk, like, they wear the the woolen coats in July, the big wool hats, they have little curly
1: frues that come down over your over their ears. So what you're saying is, is that they did not decorate for Christmas, per se, it was more like stables and mangers? It was more like... In, in maybe the, less bums
0: on the street than usual because maybe they had a place to stay for a couple months, <laughs> but like they just never really decorated. Like nothing really was like "Merry Christmas, go here" or like "Welcome to LA, okay. Merry Christmas." I mean, but it's In all seriousness,
1: though, do, so do, did, did they do like lots of Hanukkah stuff then? No, not at all. They keep to themselves. Really?
0: Okay, yeah. Like so, where we lived, we lived pretty much in in the in the Juberhood, and. We would take walks because really to get to our favorite sandwich places, we would walk through the neighborhoods. The neighborhoods are very nice. The homes are incredibly nice. It's just that they don't like to talk to us. They barely even acknowledge you if you say hello to them. They just kind of look at you and kind of walk by and sometimes they're caught off guard by kindness and they, you know, once they're like five feet away, you might hear them mumble hello, goodbye. They will talk like this because I, I, I think they're fighting heat deprivation or is it heat deprivation? Heat? Heat stroke. Heat stroke. There you go. And so that's all that they're able to mutter. But really you had to go to like these shopping centers and the, these shopping centers will have like a giant Christmas tree and they'll go all out and they'll have like a Santa workshop where kids can go sit on Santa Claus's lap and they'll have fake snow all over the place and... They do cool stuff like that. A place called The Grove did that. But I just kind of miss the whole, like, walking through a neighborhood, and you see a lot of Christmas lights outside, out on the lawn, out on the house. And where we're at now, it's a it's like a small-town neighborhood where you can't just pass through it. Like, in order to get to Mayberry, L.A., you have to be driving to Mayberry, L.A., you know? There's, like, a town center, a town hall. We got the sheriff's station. They have... Over every single cross street, they have like garland with lights on them, like going from all the all the light poles and like every single cross street, and it's really incredibly pretty. And I was driving down the freaking street, and I thought an old homeless woman was just loitering on the site and I'm like, hey, we don't get homeless people here. I mean, normally when homeless people show up in Mayberry, LA, they're confused because they don't even know where they're at and they just want to get out of there and well it turned out it was a lady a woman dressed up as miss santa claus and another guy was dressed up as a huge ass gingerbread man just kind of like saying hello to families at seven o'clock in the morning and then there were people dressed up in charles dickinson era timey outfits singing christmas carols in front of the town one of the many town uh yoga studios or whatever and It's just really cool. It's more festive. I'm more in the Christmas spirit this year than I have been in quite some time.
1: Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. It is always nice to have the old Christmas spirit intact, as it were.
0: Especially when you're living in L.A. Holy cow, it's hard. It was difficult. Guys, it took me five years. It took me five years to find it.
1: (laughs) The last little bastion of Christmas spirit in L.A. Um, Nice.
0: are your kids eager for Christmas or are they more eager for being out of school for Christmas
1: oh no they're just eager for Christmas Uh, and they're also eager for uh, granddaddy to come back in town they've been very excited about that Um, but uh, yeah we got the uh, uh, last year my sister-in-law who uh, shout out to you because I know you're listening now. Be good. Keep baby inside you. And I know it sucks being in the hospital right now, but you'll be okay. Um, she got us um uh, a a a Hallmark North Pole Communicator for Christmas last year. It was for the girls, and uh, basically it's like a little. Um, you know, like the old microphones you would get the broadcast microphones for, for that were in the principal's office, right at the school office, and that's what you would, yeah, you know, you yeah. would push it and make the school announcements, whatever. Okay, so it looks like a Christmas, you know, Christmassified one of those, and um, you twist a little knob, jobby, and everything like that, and you know makes all the little staticky noises and stuff, and then all of a sudden it talks to whoever's there, and of course, um, what they don't tell you. Is that they are only good for one year. So you like literally have to plug in the, the, the date. And so it, this way it will come up with something new every day. And then at the end of the year. Uh, you're supposed to take this little cartridge out. And chuck it. And then get a new cartridge to put in. And uh, of course um, we didn't use it last year. Because we got it on Christmas day. To be ready to use for Christmas this year. And it turns out that it was actually the 2014 model. So we got the 2014 model on Christmas 2015 to use for Christmas 2016. And so I'm like, you know, Jen, how do you use this thing? She's like, I don't know. So I go to look it up, and they're like, you can't use this thing but one time. People were like pissed. They're so mad. And it's like, and Hallmark doesn't sell enough of the stupid refill cartridges. I'm like, awesome. My kids have been jumping up and down like... For a week and a half, screaming, ready, when is December 1st? We have to use the communicator. And (laughs) I'm like, congratulations. (laughs) Then I told my sister-in-law, I was like, thank you for ruining Christmas uh, and Santa Claus for all three of my children at the same time. At least we can do it all in one foul sweep. We don't have to let them down over three separate years. We can just say, you know, fuck you, kids. Enjoy Christmas with nothing." nothing. But, I get on the horn with, uh, uh, Hallmark, and, because I got, I'd sure as shit, they do not sell enough of these replacement cartridges. And of course, that's because they keep jacking up the price of the communicator. You can't so get it's them now, online or anything like that? Oh no, nothing. They're not available online, nor in stores. It turns out they, bri- they, they bust them out in fucking April. And they're usually sold out by like July. So, this is all new information to me, and now they're charging thirty damn dollars for the communicator when the little cartridge thing is like seven dollars and sixty-five cents. So I'm like, okay, you know. So I, I get a get up get a hold of customer service with Hallmark, and they're like, um, you know, hey, how can we help you? And I'm like, well, I'm trying to get this communicator thing to work. I don't even know if it's gonna work. <laughs> Was, and they're like, we have, and it's only good for one year. I'm like, cool. But this thing is like literally never been used before. So um is it just not going to work because we put the wrong date in? Like, can I just, you know, the kids aren't going to know the difference. Can I just put 2014 in instead of that? We don't know. Here's the instructions. The instructions aren't helping me because the instructions aren't answering my question. You have to, you know, what do I need to do? And they're like, well, we'll tell you what. We'll give you a coupon that'll make the... Uh, communicator nine ninety nine instead of twenty nine ninety nine, because that's the price of the communicator cartridge. I'm like, first of all, the communicator cartridge is not even eight dollars. So no, you're not discounting it enough. Secondly, you're you, when when am I going to get this thing? And they're like, it's like three to seven business days. Awesome. So I'm not even going to get this thing until like halfway through December. That's great. I was like, can I at least use the coupon in the store? Nope. You have to use it online. You're totally not helping me. Thank you so very much, Hallmark. I was like, can I at least reset the, 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 the calendar? We have no idea. Have we answered your questions today? No. Are you satisfied? No, I'm not satisfied. Give me a fucking hint. So at the end of the day, um, I ended up just, uh, crossing crossing my fingers, hoping for but and it turns out yes, yes, you can use it the one time. So I guess we're screwed for next year unless we can, you know, get a little cartridge replacement. But my God <laughs> All my kids want to do is push a little button on a fucking pretend you know, on a pretend microphone. What if it thinks it's still in two thousand
0: and fourteen and it gets really political Ooh, I think those liberals are gonna have a good chance in a couple years, eh, kids? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hear that Hillary Clinton is gonna you're win. Really it. good. If you are really good, Obama will come to your house next year. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. I well have no idea. It's insane. So that's whatever. That's, that's so that's where we're at. And then, of course, me personally, I am losing my damn mind because I've got the rest of my finals tomorrow. But after tomorrow, I am free,
0: free, free, bitches. Well, it's a good thing we're recording the day before your last (laughs) days of finals. My fault. I
1: apologize. (laughs) It is, actually, because we were supposed to record tomorrow after finals were done. But no! So, anyways. Alright, well, should we go ahead and get into the old email sack? Yes,
0: tickle it, and hopefully something will just squirt out. There's
1: nothing in there. Don't worry about uh, it. Should we go ahead and go to the news? Dryeth the sack is again. <laughs> yes, let, let, let's let's just really go
0: to the real news.
1: Yeah, right. And on the offhand chance that anybody ever wants to send us an email again, theshow at slscast.com. If you'd like to follow Diana, us on Twitter, Diana. That, that's, that's, <laughs> it's totally possible to do that, too. Mel. At, <laughs> at the SLScast. Uh, we're not desperate or anything, Johnny. I swear. Oh, and if anybody's listening to this over the weekend and we haven't gotten to you yet in person or via Twitter or text message or email or something because we don't know why because we're stupid and we forgot or something, feel free to send us any kind of Christmassy messages that you would like to broadcast because, hey, we could put them on the show for Christmas. It's entirely possible. We can do that. Just saying. So, here we go. Without further ado, it's time for... The News! First up from me, I have two news pieces this week, uh, from ngadget.com, by way of Nathan Ingram. Netflix says it is finally adding offline playback. That is right. Details are minimal right now, but this is good news for all Netflix users. Um, this is actually from a few days ago so uh, I can actually fill in some gaps if there are any left to say Netflix has long said that it had no intention of ever offering an offline playback mode for when you're stuck on an airplane or anywhere else with no internet connection but it seems like the company is changing course an enigmatic tweet from the Netflix account says that quote your favorite stories are now available for download anytime end quote it's accompanied by a cute video with scenes from a bunch of Netflix original shows but it seems as if the feature won't be limited to only the company's original content regardless of any catches, the message is clear. Netflix will finally let us save shows to watch when we don't have an internet connection. That's right. Netflix says uh, in a press release that the future will arrive in an app update for iOS and Android, which by the time of this uh, episode's releasing should have already long since cleared on your devices. The feature is pretty straightforward. When a movie or show is available to save offline, you'll see a little download button. Netflix notes that many of its big shows, including Orange is the New Black, Narcos, and The Crown are available to download. Notably, those are all Netflix original shows. Um, and it most definitely seems like the entire catalog will not be made available all at once, but this is still a pretty big deal considering Netflix consistently rejected this feature in the past. Um, so, Tim what do you think sir um, have you had a chance to play with this yet because I do know that it's dropped I've got it on my Netflix devices and everything now um, or I should say my phone my tablet etc etc at et all um, are you excited about this I think this is badass I wish they um, have had this feature for some time the only thing I the only thing they need to do to make my viewing complete is be able to without having to go in a backwards ass manner through basically your computer only to your account viewing. I'd like to be able to get rid of continue watching things that I don't want to watch anymore. Just on my main menu, just hit a little X button and get it out of the continue watching. God, if they do that, I'd be so happy, but offline playback, where do you stand, sir?
0: Well, I think Amazon has been doing this for a little while now, so I guess Amazon has been doing something right, or it's been pretty popular, because I'm pretty sure that's what kind of triggered Netflix to do, to kind of follow in their footsteps.
1: Uh, I don't know if Hulu does it, but... I stopped watching Amazon about two months ago, Amazon Prime, um, because they started putting commercials in their shows, so... Really? Oh, I've never...
0: Experience at the beginning
1: of, yeah, not in the middle, but at the beginning, this particular show has been brought to you by Geico, and it'll show, really? like, a 15-second Geico thing. Well, or, you realize, uh, I think
0: that was just a yeah. test.
1: Like, they do that every once in a while, oh, they just see well, how people... Oh, well, congratulations, their test worked, because now I don't watch Amazon at all. <laughs> Good yeah. job, Amazon! Way to go! <laughs> you lost you lost somebody, you know? Yeah. Actually, they got the best of all worlds, because I pay for it, and now I don't use it, so...
0: I've been trying to stay away from watching too many things on my phone. I think now I just watch stuff at the gym on my phone. But like I I don't know, like I just get distracted by all the crap that's in between my screen and my screen protector, like all the particles of I don't know what it is, like dandruff or really dead bad skin or something. Protector,
1: if, you, if you have things trapped between the screen and the screen protector, I Think you either have a really bad screen protector or you may not have followed the instructions properly when the screen protector was applied.
0: Wait, so I'm not supposed to rub the phone in sand before I put the?
1: (laughs) I'm telling you, before I I put the protector on. Who knew you were not supposed to masturbate before doing that? You're supposed to wait till after applying the filter. Before I'm supposed
0: to put on the condom
1: before I ejaculate? Oh man. And what's, this, and what's this crap with, why can't you turn the thing inside out to use it again? I don't understand. <laughs> 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 thank, you, thank you for getting that. I, I, I appreciate that you got that joke. Thank you.
0: And why aren't they biodegradable and you can't throw them out your car window? On a Sunday afternoon, passing a church? Ew. On a hot <laughs> July afternoon?
1: I don't know. Anyways, okay, so go, go clearly, yeah, clearly guess, this yeah. is something where, <laughs> <laughs> so clearly <laughs> this is something where Netflix has just finally decided to enter the 21st century. But at any rate, I think it's a welcome addition. Now, just get on that continue watching feed thing and I'll be an ultra happy camper. What do you got for us, sir, Tim?
0: Okay, I'm going to start off with a couple passings here. From cnet.com, yes, celebrity news from a technology website. But unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but this is where I first read this. So, Return of the Living Dead actor Don Kalfa passes away at 76. Again, cnet.com. This is written by Gail Bauer Cooper via Tech Culture. They may not earn the big salaries or the magazine covers, but sometimes it's the character actors we remember most. We lost one of them on Thursday when Don Kalfa, who played memorable roles in 1985's Return of the Living Dead, in 1989's Weekend at Bernie's, passed away at 76, reports Deadline. If Kalfa's name isn't familiar to you, you still might know his roles. He's most famous for playing Ernie Kaltenburner, the heroic mortician who finds himself involved in a zombie attack in Return of the Living Dead. It's through Kalfa's character interrogating a gruesome half-bodied zombie that viewers learn why the creatures eat brains. It's the only thing that stops the pain of death and rotting. Quote, Fans love Don for his role of Ernie, in quote. Filmmaker Gary Smart, who co-wrote two books and produced a documentary on the famed film, said in an interview, quote, his comedy timing is spot on and he plays the role straight throughout. His interrogation of the half-corpse is one of the zombie genre's most iconic scenes and that truly comes down to Don's ability to balance comedy and horror whilst making the scene believable, End quote. In Weekend at Bernie's, Kalfa played Polly the Hitman. That role really shows Don's comedic timing in his physical comedy, Smart said. And for a while, it was hard to watch a TV classic and not catch a glimpse of his elastic face. Kalfa holds the record for most appearances in a TV series as different characters for his many Barney Miller roles. Other film and television appearances included... Foul Play, Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town, Columbo, Murder She Wrote, and Twin Peaks. End all quotes there. Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. That, that sounds like a, a potential Matt and Tim movie review right there. The next passing via BBCNews.com or just BBC.com slash news. Ghostbusters librarian actress Alice Drummond dies aged 88. This is written by uh, probably some British person. Her friend June Gable said the actress died from complications after a fall she sustained two months ago. Drummond's other film credits, other than The Librarian and Ghostbusters, include Doubt, which starred Amy Adams and Meryl Streep, and Awakenings with Rob De Niro and Robin Williams. She also played Ross and Monica's grandmother in an episode of Friends. Drummond was born Alice Elizabeth Ruther. On May 21st, 1928, in 1950, she married Paul Drummond, with whom she moved to Manhattan, the couple divorced in 1976. She became known as a theater and television actress before landing her first feature film role in the 1970 comedy Where's Papa? Drummond went on to appear in films such as Synecdoche, New York, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, alongside Jim Carrey. Her most recent film appearance was in the 2010 comedy Furry Vengeance, which starred Brendan Fraser and Brooke Shields. Oh, how we fondly remember 2010's Furry Vengeance. Uh, End all quotes there. Uh, Both of these articles have a bit more to them. Again, check them out. R.I.P. Alice Drummond, and Don Kalfa. And I'm going to jump into one more piece of news, since Matthew only has two. Are you a fan of Spawn, Matt? Either the comic or the film that
1: came out in the late 90s, like 96 or 97? I was originally a fan of the comic and... uh, Or even the animated. The animated? I was going to say the animated show on HBO was also really good, but not the movie. No, the movie was terrible. I mean, I appreciated what they were trying to do, but it's it's just a terrible
0: movie. I've only seen the PG thirteen version. I understand there's a director's cut, which is more R rated friendly, I guess. And I remember watching it as a kid when it came out, and I thoroughly I got a kick out of this movie. It was dark, it was fun. Maybe it was because I was a kid, and I'm not used to watching. I wasn't used to watching like PG thirteen uh, movies geared for superhero movies geared for adults in such a dark and twisted way, and it just in some weird reason appealed to me. However, within the past couple years, I've come across various scenes from the movie, and it's an incredibly CGI-heavy movie with the whole demon and Spawn going down into hell and the trans- Paul Leguizamo's clown transformations, all that stuff. Very early or late 90s CGI-heavy stuff, and I tell you what, it did not age well. I, I don't know, I'm looking forward to maybe uh, reviewing this on the show whenever it turns 20. But this is via Inverse.com. Spawn is going to be a straight-up, brutal, R-rated horror film. This is written by Jack Crosby, and it says this. Todd McFarlane has been dreaming about making a new Spawn movie for decades, but in Spawn's world, there are no dreams, only nightmares. And McFarlane says he doesn't even want to try to appeal to the sunny world of superhero fans. Instead, he's aiming for the horror movie crowd, and Spawn will fit right in the artist behind Image Comics' flagship demon-infested antihero has a very clear vision for what the potentially upcoming Spawn film would look like, and it should be shockingly different from any superhero or comic book-inspired films in the last 10 years. Saying, quote, what I can tell you is what I've told everybody else. It will be a definite, are in quote mcfarlane recently told comicbook.com quote i'm not going for the same crowd that marvel and dc is going for i'm going for the same crowd that horror film releases are going for people who want to take their boyfriend or girlfriend or go out with the girls and go to the movies and get spooked in quote we already knew that any prospective spawn film would be intensely dark After all, the character is completely unlike most traditional comic book heroes. McFarlane said the film is, quote, "...slowly moving forward," end quote, and that the main challenge is getting both the story and budget tight enough so he can maintain control. Because here's the kicker, it's not happening if he can't direct it. Quote, "...I've been living with the idea for so long that I wanted to direct it, but I knew that if I gave it to Hollywood and they spent a lot of money on it then just from a practical point of view it wouldn't be fair for me then to say i want to direct quote instead mcfarland said that he wants to pitch a small budget movie in hopes that a studio bites he said he wants to tell the studios quote give me 10 million dollars to make a little horror movie and let's see if we can scare some people we've done that tons of times end all quotes there and you can actually read the full quote from comicbook.com that was via inverse.com. Spawn is going to be a straight up brutal R rated horror film. Of course, that is if they actually get the movie made. Do you want to see this type of Spawn movie, Matt? Hmm.
1: Uh, well, okay. If. <laughs> I mean, if it stays hey, true the to the comic, obviously. If, okay. I'm, okay, here's what I'm worried about that because of what happened before. They will go completely overboard in the other direction and just make it, um, a complete, you know, gore porn fest with, uh, with nothing that salvages it in terms of it being really good and scary, um, with amazing thriller elements. In addition to the subject matter, that would also allow for the gore to be there. That's what made Spawn so good. Um, And that was also stuff they were able to explore in the animated series, to a lesser degree. And I just worry that it's not going to go the way that we want. Um, I hope it does, though. I, I hope it does. I just, I fear that it won't. So, that's all I have to say about that.
0: We are going to see many more R-rated superhero and anti-superhero movies, especially with Deadpool being a massive hit, and I'm sure the upcoming Logan is going to be a big hit as well. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And then, of course, the the female character actress there, as opposed to male character, whatever. The character actress you mentioned, yeah. My favorite role of hers was in um, Funny Farm, when she plays the antique store owner. She was absolutely hilarious. So... I love that part. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, this is my last piece of news here from HollywoodReporter.com by way of Rebecca Ford. Jason Momoa's Aquaman gets release date. You heard that right, folks. Ah. <sighs> Aquaman will swim into theaters on October 5th, 2018. The Warner Brothers and DC superhero film stars Jason Momoa. James Wan is directing the film, which will also star Amber Heard as Mara, the love interest of Aquaman and eventual Queen of Atlantis. The film, of course, will be released in 3D and IMAX. Uh, Momoa made his first appearance as the seafaring superhero in Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Um... And he'll also appear in Justice League, which is out next year. Um, I'm really kind of disappointed that it's going to be another two years before we get this movie. Um, I I really and truly think that um, they should have waited a little bit longer to do Justice League and given Aquaman his movie first. Um, I think they're trying to hedge bets so that they can cancel the project if Justice League doesn't do well. And I think that part of the reason Justice League might not do well is because nobody has any vested interest in anybody other than Wonder Woman at this point. Um, And that's a huge, huge mistake, in my opinion. What do you think, Tim?
0: Sure, why not? I mean, I'm the worst person you could ask about this type of thing. Um, okay then. I, I hope it's
1: good. And I that's mean, the news.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, I still I still enjoy DC movies for whatever reason. They have more depth and character stuff that they could play around with. And I think it has potential. Uh, Aquaman does because it's a different type of story. I mean, very same thing with Wonder Woman. It's a different type of story. I don't know. I think I just have to see more of him pl- being Aquaman for me to really make any judgment because... Based on that really corny-ass cameo of him in Batman v Superman, I, I, don't, I just don't know. I, I think they're just really hoping that Justice League kind of hits it off and revamps the whole DC universe. Right on.
1: You may very well be right about that. All right, sir, that is my last piece of news. Bring us home with the news, man.
0: Alright, the last pieces of news. First up from the com. Your Name, now second-highest-grossing Japanese film passing Howl's Moving Castle. Not your name, as in Matt, but the name of the movie is entitled Your Name. This was it, written by Gavin J. Blair, and it says this, The anime hit about body-swapping teenagers opened at number one in China on the weekend and could be the biggest Japanese film of all time at the global box office. Makoto Shinaki's anime smash Your Name, or pronounced Kimi no Na Wa, has become the second biggest grossing Japanese film of all time, overtaking Miyazaki's Howl's Moving Castle with a $197.5 million 15-week run. Your Name passed Miyazaki's Princess Mononoke last weekend and is still going strong at the local box office, spending 12 weeks at number one and 3 weeks at number two. It was in second place against this weekend to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Miyazaki's Oscar winner, Spirited Away, is the highest grossing film ever in Japan, domestic or imported, having pulled in around 300 million dollars, or 30.4 billion yen in 2001. While your name may not reach that domestically, a strong overseas run could push it past Miyazaki's classic in total worldwide earnings. Its $41 million opening in China on the weekend comfortably bested the bow of fellow anime Stand By Me, Doraemon, in 2015, which finished with around $100 million dollars. Much of Spirit Away's global earnings came after its Oscar triumph in 2002. Your Name is currently on a limited release in the U.S. to qualify it for next year's Best Animation Academy Award. Even if it doesn't get an Oscar nod, a big run in China, which wasn't a significant market when Spirit Away was released, along with other territories, could still make Your Name the biggest Japanese film of all time worldwide. End all quotes there. The article does go on for a bit more. Again, that was the hogreporter.com's article, Your Name now Second-Highest-Grossing Japanese Film Passing, Hal's Moving Castle. Lastly, here on the movie news front, via slashfilm.com, How the Universal Monsters Movie Universe Will Emulate Marvel Over DC. This is written by Peter Scaretta and it says this, uh, Last year, it was revealed that Fast and Furious producer Chris Morgan was teaming with screenwriter-director Alex Kurtzman to design a universal monster cinematic universe. The plan was to reboot the universal monster's properties, including characters such as Dracula, The Wolfman, Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, and Creature from the Black Lagoon, each with their own movies leading to an Avengers-type film that would bring them all together. Alex Kurtzman grew up watching the Universal monster movies and explained to me how his affinity for the classic films has influenced his direction of the mummy and the Universal monsters cinematic universe and this is Kurtzman saying quote I love monster movies and there was sort of a defining moment for me when i was a kid and it was when i saw frankenstein and i was very young when i saw frankenstein and i saw the scene where frankenstein makes friends with the little girl and they share the flower and she throws into the water and he thinks that's just how they're playing so he picks her up and throws her into the water and she drowns and as a kid it was like a deeply emotional and very confusing experience because i felt huge empathy for this monster and i was scared for him and on the turn of a dime he killed this girl not because he was trying to but because he didn't understand how to communicate with her And it really wasn't until around the 8th grade when I went into a major horror slasher phase that I started understanding the distinction between a, quote, monster movie, end quote, and a horror movie and a slasher movie. Those are three very different things. And I think that what, for me, has always endured about the monster movies is that they are the only movies There are exceptions, obviously, within every genre, but they're the only movies where you are afraid of the monster, and you are afraid for the monster. And what that does for me is it sort of reflects. I think the parts of our personalities that are the parts that society wants to throw in a box and tamp down and not let become expressed— they are these wonderful mirrors that reflect parts of who we are as people, and I think that the obligation of making a monster movie is to figure out a way to find empathy for the monster, to find empathy for all the other characters, but also to scare people. End all quotes there. The conversation goes on for quite a bit more. Uh, actually, well, the rest of this page and a whole other page. Uh, do check it out. It's pretty interesting. It kind of it, it reassures me a little bit that um not just the this upcoming mummy movie starring Tom Cruise but the revamp of all these monsters movies will have more layers to them there's a possibility of there being substance and you really do need that and that's to me what made the original mummy movie fun not the original but the remake with Brendan Fraser i really do hope this is the path that the new universal monster movies will take, not necessarily down the route of Avengers either. Matt, what do you think about this? Do you think uh, what Alex Kurtzman had to say about his feelings towards monster movies puts you at ease a little bit, especially after seeing the not-that-great Dracula untold, which I think now they're just sweeping underneath the rug?
1: You know, I actually went ahead and, against my better judgment, watched the Mummy trailer today. The thing is, is, like with Dracula Untold, yes, it didn't work as well as it should have. But it, for me, that seemed to be a step in the right direction. This, I'm telling you, the, the, this movie is not, I just don't see this movie working at all. Um, I hope I'm wrong but I don't see this movie working and the fact that this is how they're trying to bring back the mummy means we're one step closer to every branding of Universal's monster looking like Jason fucking X okay Um, and that's not where this should go (laughs) and you know what maybe they should just let it go entirely and then just figure out another way to make it fucking organic I don't know
0: I've, I've been seeing the trailer. Is she wearing... Does she wear a chrome hockey mask? The new mummy? No. A la but Jason it, X?
1: It sure as shit. It sure as shit. Her uh, sarcophagus sure as shit looks like it, though. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> so, anyways.
0: And that's the news.
1: All right. Well, moving What a very solemn, the news. solemn note ending it on. <laughs>
0: There goes my childhood. There goes my grandparents' childhood. There goes my family's childhood.
1: That's right. Tossing the proverbial baby with the bathwater. Alright, here we go. So moving directly from the news, we will go over to Three Squared. Or better yet, we shall go to... Three Squared! for that right see i shouldn't have i should have just done that anyway all right so this time on, on three squared we're gonna be talking about our favorite anti-Christmas movies, and it did turn out that basically all of these movies are pretty much Christmas movies, anyway. Um, in terms of physically taking place at Christmas, and you know, Christmas is a big backdrop in the movie and everything else. Uh, but all of our characters, or at least the title entities, or what have you, if you will, um, really do uh, have, um. Anti-Christmas vibes. These are characters who just, for whatever reason, do not fucking like Christmas. Um, first up for me in getting us ready for our movie segment later, Bad Santa. Yes, the 2003 Black Comedy... Comedy? <laughs> Comedy crime film. Uh, it's directed by Terry Zwigoff. Stars Billy Bob Thornton, Tony Cox, Lauren Graham, Brett Kelly, Lauren Tom, John Ritter, and Bernie Mac. Uh, let's see here. And, of course, this stars uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Tony Cox as a wannabe Santa and elf combo who, of course, um, pose as said Santa and elf in department stores and then rob them blind at... Uh, on Christmas Eve Um, Billy Bob Thornton runs across uh, Thurman who is played by Brett Kelly um, and kind of steps in as a very reluctant father figure slash Santa slash friend for young Thurman who has got to be the world's most ridiculous kid um shenanigans ensue and what have you i love this movie i never uh, actually got to see bad santa i only ever watched badder santa and it was hilarious and that is the film version that i watch to this day um i think it's just completely irreverent absolutely hilarious uh non-stop funny and It knows that it's not trying to be anything else than what it is. And that's why it is so funny. It's because these people know they're despicable human beings. They don't try to cover it up. They don't try to hide it. They wallow in it. And it's the wallowing uh, that makes it so absolutely hilarious. And yet it's the contrast of of poor Willie who played by... uh, Bill Bob Thornton, that you see that despite his just despicable nature, there is just this fucking little kernel of humanity that just won't go away. I love the movie. I think it's fantastic. Think it's absolutely fantastic. Moving on to The Ref 1994, another black comedy film. This one uh directed by Ted Demi stars Dennis Leary, Judy Davis, and Kevin Spacey. And what we have here are Lloyd and Carolyn, played by Kevin Spacey and Judy Davis, uh, respectively, who are basically just doing everything they possibly can to try and keep it together uh, for a family dinner at Christmas Eve. When things go awry, because good old Dennis Leary, uh, who plays Gus, has had a complete... Breakdown in terms of a robbery gone totally wrong. And he inadvertently finds himself in a position where he has to take advantage uh, or take hostage this wonderful family. And, as it were, uh, <laughs> he ends up having to masquerade as their therapist. Um, this, If you have never seen this movie before, it is truly an outstanding movie. Mainly because... The acting is just so fucking good. Because while the story is is funny, the writing is really, really wonky. It tries too hard to balance the serious moments with the zany moments. And this movie can just be funny on its own because the characters themselves are funny. But even still, absolutely fantastic Christmas movie. One that is on my list every year. And it's just fun to watch because... For me, um, you see just that tiny, tiny little kernel of humanity that comes out of Dennis Leary. And also, you see a kind of a renewal of the Christmas spirit that comes back to the Chaucer family. Uh, It's just fantastic to see how it all works out for whom it all works out because it doesn't actually work (laughs) out all that well for everybody. Uh, And finally, of course, 2005's thriller comedy, The Ice Harvest. This one is uh, um, directed by Harold Ramis. And it stars John Cusack, Billy Bob Thornton, and Connie Nielsen, uh, which has a mob lawyer and a uh, crooked businessman team up to basically rip off a mobster in Wichita, Kansas on Christmas Eve. And there is nothing short of complete... um, debauchery, douchebaggery, and double crossing that goes on from the fucking get-go. And the best part of it is, is you don't have to worry about who's got the kernel of humanity and who's gonna come around. It's not that kind of movie. It is truly, even though it takes place at Christmas in regards to Christmas with things that would not have happened had it not been Christmas, everybody's shitty. And yet the movie is still utterly fucking fantastic this is one of john cusack's best performances in my opinion um you absolutely must see it um it's just yeah i mean this is right up there with things like say anything and gross point blank i it just god john cusack so awesome um and then of course as noted billy Bob thornton again he's the anti-christmas movie guy apparently so my movies again are from 2003 Bad Santa from 1994 The Ref and from 2005 The Ice Harvest. Check them out and Merry fucking Christmas.
0: Those were pretty good. Those were pretty good. My 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 three aren't as great. I'll I'll just say that right now. Um I'm starting off with one where uh that we actually both saw and reviewed last December. And that would be the film Krampus, Michael Doherty's anticipated follow-up to Trick-or-Treat. It's his horror take on uh, on, on the Christmas tradition. The, and, and basically, Krampus is an actual, like, European tradition. I forget if it's like the Germans and the Swedish... Swiss, the Swedishians? <laughs> the, the Germans are the Swedish fish, or not. It could be both, actually. Apparently, the, the tale of Krampus according to some folklore, predates the uh, creation of the Santa Claus character. Apparently, some people say that Krampus, well, Krampus was created to counteract the Santa Claus folklore, but no, 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 other people are like, not at all. Why do you think Santa Claus is so overly jolly and happy and brings you gifts? Who would just create that for the hell of it? but to make up for the horror and and terrified nightmares that children were having because they grew up learning about Krampus. And if they did one thing bad, then Krampus will be coming after them and in all that jazz. Well, uh, Michael Dougherty's 2015 Krampus is about a young boy who, at some point, him and his family enjoyed christmas they all they had these wonderful lovely family traditions where they would make cookies while watching charlie brown christmas or wrap presents and do this and they would drink eggnog and have wonderful beautiful christmas dinners and then life happens work happens school happens puberty happens and other than this one boy named max and in this film he's played by mj anthony and little max he just like he gets just fed up that christmas isn't what it used to be you know it's not like he still wants to believe in santa claus and he's tired of everybody telling him that santa claus does not exist and a few events happen leading up to this dinner party i guess on christmas eve or right before christmas eve where he just completely loses it takes this letter to santa claus that he's been looking forward all day to put in the mailbox he tears it up and just throws it outside and basically wishes that he wants to get rid of all of his crappy family members and he just wants to get rid of the christmas holiday at least that's what you kind of gather by him ripping up the note throwing it out the window and it magically gets swept up into the night sky because he is turning his back on christmas and not have he doesn't have the faith in his family anymore that summons the evil krampus to basically terrorize not only him but everybody on the fucking block and boy does he terrorize everybody on the block not just him he has these evil elves and all these evil toys like an evil jack-in-the-box that comes to life it's a very entertaining movie I actually bought the Blu ray, uh, watched it last night again, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think this will be one that I'll watch at least on Christmas Eve or around that time because it really does put you into the spirit. It's very much a Christmas movie. It feels like it, you're watching something that is taking place at Christmas time. It has the warmth, but when Krampus shows up, everything goes cold. The anti Christmas character could be Krampus or it could actually be the family. Next up on my list for anti-Christmas movies and anti-Christmas characters from 1984, Joe Dante's Gremlins. I think we are all pretty much familiar with this movie. A young boy, not necessarily a young boy, I guess he's in high school at this time. He inherits from his dad this little animal a gremlin and he you know the gremlin of course gets named gizmo and he's cute he's nice and you know the dad picked it up from some asian vendor no i not necessarily picked it up I'm, doesn't he like steal him or does he actually buy him do you remember matt the dad
1: wasn't it uh
0: yeah doesn't he like steal gizmo from the vendor or he's like he's an inventor yeah, I just can't, I can't no, remember no, exactly he, what he, happens.
1: No, he Yeah, no, he doesn't um no, I don't think he steals him because I want to say he bought, he bought him. I think I think he uh does a little bit of both. I think he I think it's kind of shady, but, but he doesn't he like out-
0: he, like makes a trade with something he Yeah, invented? he like makes
1: a trade or something like that because it is kind of shady, but I don't think he outright steals Gizmo. I I don't remember him outright stealing Gizmo.
0: Well, Gizmo is—you know—Gizmo arrives. Uh, Gizmo
1: arrives, we Gizmo know
0: arrives. <laughs> and as what we all know, you cannot feed Gizmo after midnight. Gizmo cannot touch water because if he does, he will spawn these evil gremlins.
1: Uh, I apologize for for, for interrupting your uh, your spiel on your thing, but I, I this is something that has always bothered me. So you can't feed him after midnight. When are you supposed to feed him? You know. Technically, sometime is always after midnight. It's currently uh, you know, 30 minutes before midnight, but it's 23 and a half hours after the previous midnight.
0: Yeah, it's so like, what if you're in California and then you cross into <laughs> yeah, mountain time? Yeah, what happens if you go into
1: a time zone? Yeah, what the shit? So I never could understand that one. It's like, does Gizmo just perpetually never eat? I, don't, I just, because that's not even what gets him in the movie. It's the water that falls on him from the art table. that's an spars- 80s movie,
0: Matt. You're overthinking it. You're overthinking I am. it. Alright.
1: I'm sorry. And I hear I'm <laughs> taking away from your three-squared. I apologize.
0: Oh, no, right. it's fine. It's literally not going to get any better than what you just said. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a classic movie. Again, water gets on him. He sp- spawns all these evil gremlins that eventually you know end up taking over the town so i guess if you're gonna say well what's the anti-christmas character in this movie why not the gremlins i know matt probably thought this one was kind of a uh you know whatever pick it kind of was but it's i, I kind of think of this movie as like very much like krampus where i still watch it around christmas time It definitely feels like Christmas because, you know, everything's decorated all Christmassy. You hear Christmas music but there is, like, this presence that just (laughs) infests the Christmas spirit. You know, takes it over a little bit and kind of turns it inside out. So that is why my number two pick is 1984's Gremlins, directed by Joe Dante and written by Chris Columbus. And then my number one pick. It's only my number one pick because it came out first. It's One of my favorite John Landis comedies, it's his follow-up to An American Werewolf in London. That is the Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy 1983 film Trading Places. Yes, and you also get a, a young, hot, and sexy Jamie Lee Curtis in this one as well. This is the hilarious film where a rich, snobbish, young, white, millionaire guy ends up in some really, (laughs) due to the bet of one dollar between two old men, his wealth gets ripped away from him and given to this down-on-his-luck homeless man played by Eddie Murphy. Basically, Dan Aykroyd ends up becoming a homeless man himself, a a homeless, drunken, raw fish-eating Santa Claus who's trying to (laughs) who's wanting to murder eddie murphy's character pretty much it's a hilarious movie i'm not doing justice to it whatsoever i like this movie a lot because it's kind of it's not really an anti-christmas movie and i I think like these two characters at some point are anti-christmas characters For example, Dan Aykroyd, when he's the rich, snobby asshole at the beginning, of course he loves Christmas because he can buy all this shit. He can eat all this very festive shit. And Eddie Murphy does not like Christmas. The only thing he likes about it is because maybe he'll get extra money from people that feel sorry for him. But that's pretty much it. I mean, he can't afford nice things, let alone he cannot probably even eat a Twinkie. And then, of course, when they switch places... Dan Aykroyd not only hates Christmas, but he hates himself. He hates life. He tries to kill himself when he fails at actually killing Eddie Murphy, who took his spot unknowingly. And so the movie kind of plays with that a whole lot until, of course, the very end, when the two of the guys eventually make up. I mean, once Eddie Murphy finds out what happened, that Dan Aykroyd was set up by the two old men over the bet of $1, they become buddies, and they try to fix this injustice in one way or another and so at the end of the movie they're both rich i i guess i they really don't ever kind of go into detail on that one there so my three anti-christmas movies and i guess characters are again krampus from 2015 gremlins from 1984 and trading places from 1983 phoning it in this three squared partly
1: partly <laughs> <laughs> nice all right well that brings us to the end of the three squared next week for our christmas bonus uh we are going to actually be doing a another one we did it at halloween and now we're gonna do it come christmas time we are gonna have a triple matchup in copycat throwdown that's right we are gonna do all in on the Babes in Toyland. We've got Babes in Toyland 1934 versus Toyland, Babes in Toyland, Toyland. 1961 yeah, versus Babes in Toyland. Babes in Toyland from 1986. Yes. Now, um, we're, we're sneaking in the 1986 version because it is technically, um, not a movie movie. I mean, it was, it is a movie, but it was a made for TV movie. Um, however, it is quite possibly an hour and 36 minutes of the most amazingly bad television you've ever seen. Like, I almost want to do a dedicated creme de la crap on the 1986 version of Babes in Twilight, but that's okay. You know what? We're, we're going to throw them all up there and see what happens. And that's next time. For our bonus segment. So without further ado, I think we're down to the movies, are we not, sir? Movie? Or yeah, I, I think so. It's about that time. <laughs> Alright, here we go, folks. It's the movies. This week's movies are Moana and Bad Santa Two. Where would you like to start, sir?
0: Well, I I'm not going to have much to say about Bad Santa Two. Um, I guess so maybe start we'll off with start that there?
1: one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Bad Santa Two, 2016. Uh, another black comedy, a comedy. Apparently, that's what I'm saying now. Comedy. Black comedy crime film. This one directed by Mark Walters. I'm sorry, Mark Waters. I really can't talk anymore, apparently. Uh, Stars Billy Bob Thornton, uh, Kathy Bates, Tony Cox, Christina Hendricks, and Brett Kelly. Yes, we have uh, started... Back at the beginning. Um, so we're 13 years into the future here. And, uh, well, I guess maybe not quite 13 years, but, uh, in terms of the movie being released, but in terms of actual time spent in the film, it's a little difficult to determine exactly how much time has passed, but for sure, more than a decade. Um, and basically, willie is pretty much right back where he started he's kind of everything everything that could have come good out of the end of the first movie um he's kind of shitted away with with the exception of thurman (laughs) and um he finds himself having to re-team up with uh his wonderful friend Uh, well, not really his friend, Marcus, again, played by Tony Cox. He is uh, then having to go on off to Chicago, where they have a whole new scam set up this time, dedicated, or or not dedicated, but I guess um, chaired, if you will, by dear old mom, played by Kathy Bates. Um, You know, has Willie actually learned anything from any of his previous exploits? Only time will tell. Shenanigans ensue. It's a lot of fun. Now, for me, this movie... um, This movie gets a whole hell of a lot of shit right. And I realize I am firmly entrenched in the minority on this. This film has like a 23% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Um, It is... uh, It had a $26 million budget and uh, thus far has not even recouped it yet, and it's been out, I want to say, like three or four weeks at this point. But this movie just gets a lot of shit right because the one thing that the movie does is it never forgets the core mechanics of its characters. That would be Willie, played by Billy Bob Thornton, that would be tony Cox's uh Marcus Skidmore, and of course Brett Kelly, who is Thurman merman now the um the plot of the movie is 100% contrived and entirely forced. And so that's what makes the humor so heavily dependent on the writing and the characterizations. And for the most part, they really get it right. It's absolutely hilarious. However, when they get it wrong is when they don't let the characters do what comes naturally and instead force them into situations that either purposely try to relive certain points of the movie of the previous movie or force the story in this movie to do something that's n- not what is in uh, the not want to say best interests but in the wheelhouse of the franchise to this point um but where this movie really, really, really finds uh finds its heart is in Brett Kelly. A Thurman fucking Merman, y'all. All right. He's not retarded. He was tested. <laughs> <laughs> this guy you and it really made me rethink Batter Santa. The whole, the whole thing hinges on Thurman. It, this, this guy is just so inanely and asinine.ly ingrained into this behavior and how he thinks, especially in terms of Willie, that you just can't help it no matter how much of a despicable human being you are to find your own inner speck of humanity and it's just so much fun to watch that happen and it's it's the brilliance behind the movie and on top of that you just get to see these people making fun of one another oh my god it's absolutely hilarious ah, i love this movie I cannot legitimately give it a four point or higher because there are some serious flaws with it. But I promise you, if you go see this movie, you will laugh your ass off. It's that fucking funny. 3.75 out of five. Apparently, Tim's going to be short and sweet on this one. Go for it.
0: I did not see it. Seriously? <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Well, there's a story. Well, not really.
1: Uh, is, since the, is it as good as the uh, is? Is it as good as the um, Rum Diary story?
0: <laughs> oh no, that where was somebody, <laughs> that
1: sucked. <laughs> <laughs> somebody let us get carted out by the cops.
0: <laughs> no, so the movie hasn't been doing all that well. So at the theater that I normally go to, where I went to see Moana, and I really wanted to see Moana on a nice screen with good sound, and where I knew three D was decent. You know, like like the three D experience would have been good. So I wanted to go to that theater, and so I normally go early on Sunday morning. Well, at that particular theater, Bad Santa 2 didn't start until 3 o'clock, and there was no way in hell I was going to wait five hours around the Del Amo Fashion Center Mall until Bad Santa 2 started, and so I had other stuff I had to do. But I did watch Bad Santa 1 for the first time, and I enjoyed it. So I will watch Bad Santa 2 when I can. And I can keep talking because I... No, that's, that's
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I'm just so bummed because I was really looking forward to hearing what you had to say. Even if you ended up hating it, I was just really looking forward to hearing what you had to say about it.
0: Well, um, I guess one question I do have, Bad Santa is is it's a vulgar movie because of... The character and the language and all that stuff. But in some ways, the, the dramatic nature of the ending of Bad Santa, when you realize, like, Billy Bob Thornton's character doesn't necessarily have a change of heart... Really, like a total change of heart, but he comes to terms with things, and because it's him coming to terms with certain things, it actually kind of has a dramatic impact on the viewer. We're used to seeing this horrible guy do this and say this, but Mm. he's actually realizing that this kid is nice, and like you know, there's something about good natured, honest people, uh, he's like realizing that, and there's something it's kind of interesting. So does Bad Santa 2 have those same kind of qualities to it, where it's yes. not just oh really? So it's not just yes. complete vulgarity and all that stuff.
1: And that and that's the thing. That's why it's um, there are certain twists and turns that the movie makes that are purposely contrived and forced. And that's where the movie feels like okay, come on, you're you know it's it's obvious you're trying to hit certain markers that you hit in the first film. Um and instead of just letting the characters do what they do, um, and and just be funny in that regard, but then again, that's why I say you, Thurman saves this movie. Um, he he really is the heart of the film, sir. I mean, and um, yeah, God, I just, I really would, yeah, I really hope you get a chance to see it, dude. Seriously, Um, (laughs) it'll change your life. well, I'm not gonna say no. it's gonna change your life, but I, you know, I just, man.
0: Well, I tell you <sighs> so what, stoked. if
1: I wasn't a part I'm of to change, sh- this to an ultimate letdown. What's your ultimate? <laughs> Bad Santa two. Why? I thought you liked it. Tim didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if
0: I was listening to this episode now, and I was, if I was, and I was on the fence of whether to see it or not, I would go see it. So something good came out of this, Matt. Something good hey, came out whoa, of it.
1: That, there you go. Alright. Well then, let us go ahead and close out this episode and the movies with Moana. 2016 3D computer animated musical fantasy adventure film. This, of course, is from Walt Disney Animation Studios. Uh, it's directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. And it is starring uh, Auli'i. I apologize if I am butchering this. Auli'i Cravo- Cravalho. Dwayne Johnson, Rachel House, uh, Tamara Morrison, Jermaine Clement, Nicole Scherzinger, and Alan Tudyk. Um, and what we are basically, this is covering a lot of ground in terms of Polynesian um, deity culture and um, creation stories, a lot of their religious aspects and myths, and where and and their ideas of how the earth was created in the cosmos um and they explain that only in terms of to get to basically just kind of put you in the mindset um, of the film in terms of just a. it's not even really a, a narrative framing device it's simply they just kind of give you a little bit of history so that you can kind of understand where the movie is going to be coming from What's really interesting, though, is how a lot of this stuff can be transposed with Greek and, of course, subsequently Roman culture, because the Romans kind of just changed the names of the Greek stuff. Um, And yet you see that, I mean, there's virtually no way the Polynesians could have been copying the Greeks uh, based on just geographic location. So it's just really fascinating to see how this stuff actually kind of worked out to be very similar in other aspects. Um, we then come to the, uh, present time in terms of the film and the story it's, it's telling, where Moana is, um, a baby chosen by the goddess or the gods or whatever, basically by the ocean, um, and doesn't even know it. And now we have her as a, um, a young woman who is struggling with her inner self that wants to explore and voyage not because she wants to escape and not because she is not happy where she is but because she just simply feels drawn uh but she has to temper that with being the daughter of the chieftain and the future leader of the island itself um due to some circumstances that happen uh thanks in part to maui um she ha- she finds herself actually forced out into sea, and then she has to work to find Maui and then right the wrongs uh, and bring peace to the earth. Um, this is just an absolutely fantastic movie. Um, I was thoroughly, thoroughly moved um, throughout the visuals are just unbelievable i mean truly truly unbelievable um you you would think that especially in animated form you would just get tired of looking at the ocean nope (laughs) you could watch this water for days i mean that just totally puts you in the mindset that you want to be there and experience this for yourself um i really really loved the music and because the music was done in such a style that it was a very very good blend of actual polynesian language and cultural style also blended with um contemporary, I don't want to say pop sensibilities, but uh, definitely contemporary musical sensibilities that you're not sitting there kind of wondering what they're singing about or why they're singing it this particular way because they do actually use the full language um, in, in, in much of their music. But on top of that, you also get just the right amount of balance with Dwayne Johnson uh, as, he, as he plays Maui in that completely over-the-top, unbelievable, you know, just like, come on, seriously, uh, demigod aspect. But at the same time, Moana is there to com- is there to temper that and they consequently they work really really well together um they also at certain points you find are able to work on their own because the film as the film finds its footing it gives you a sense of who they are and why they behave the way they behave um there is a lot of heart put into this movie And the only nitpick that I have that I have, and and I it's and I recognize that what it is, and that's why I call it a nitpick, is the rooster or the chicken. Um, Alan Tudyk uh, plays Hey Hey Moana's pet rooster, Um, and let me put you this way: Ron Clements, one of the directors, said, "Quote." this is the dumbest character in the history of disney animation end quote all right so it's pure comic relief and it's necessary especially in certain breaks in the film where major events have happened and certain things that are done uh, to really tug at the heartstrings and yet also it's there just to kind of be a, a, a just kind of a buffer just to say okay we're not trying to get too heavy we're not trying to get too heavy the thing is and 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 yet and it's abundantly clear that you know that's happening instead of it being more organic and just letting something funny happen as a consequence of the seriousness that are that of of uh of everything is, that is going on um they just make it happen to make it happen and so it still works, though. I, I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I just think that it it's clearly not organic and seemed more like a grab just for kids. Um, it is a family movie, but I really think that this was a step in the right direction in terms of really showcasing story and song um, in, in a really pure musical format that um, was just for everyone. Um, I think the scene stealing that Jemaine Clement does, especially with his performance of "Shiny," uh, which is now one of my ringtones on my phone, along with You're Welcome, yes, that's right, I did it, um, was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, it, it was very unexpected too. And so me, as a big, huge fan of Jermaine Clement, uh, I was, as soon as I recognized his voice, I was just like, I'm in. I'm sold. And I'm laughing along with it. And I didn't even care that I was in the theater. I was just fantastic to listen to. Um, it, I mean, again, there's just so much amazing stuff. The only nitpick I have is hey, hey, but even hey, hey works. So at the end of the day, um, I, I was kinda of leaning one way or the other on this, but I'm gonna go ahead and land on it, give it to it. Five stars. It was almost a four point seven five because of Hey Hey. But he's just he you know what? He still worked. Five stars. What do you got there, Tim?
0: I think I would have preferred the pig as the comic relief animal, but we got Why? Hey Hey. <laughs> Alan Tudyk's best performance since <laughs> Firefly. <But> why? <laughs>
1: Hey hey, um, hey hey! I am a leaf on the wind, of the ocean, of the rooster. I don't get it. Why, but why? Why would you rather have the pig?
0: Because the pig was cuter, and the pig I thought was like genuinely funnier than than the rooster. Because I just think it was just kind of like, oh, you're the comedy relief. At least the pig had a little bit more of that. I mean, the the movie is already different. If you're comparing it to uh, the other princess movies, but it's very much more of this, the same kind of formula that we've seen in other Disney movies, especially the other non princess Disney movies This to me kind of felt a little bit like Hercules without all the pop culture
1: references. Same. I really did feel like especially with uh Maui's tattoos. I do agree with that.
0: But I do think that the music in Hercules was like it I don't know, Hercules worked because they made themselves a path and they took that path all the way to the end. With this movie, like they made tweeting references in a way, like they made <laughs> modern culture references, but yet the movie really to me absolutely didn't need it. And I think I would have enjoyed the movie so much more if they kept the movie more so in its time i mean you could still have the tattoo that comes alive and stuff if it actually took place and stayed within its time realm i suppose without making modern day references it still would have worked and it still would have been funny but i i think when you start I, I i don't know and like i like jermaine clement and i like the idea but i just felt like it belonged in a different movie because you had all these more polynesian hawaiian songs that worked kind of like pocahontas in in a way where you listen to all the music from pocahontas and it actually sounds like music that maybe they would have sung back in the day and they never really had one that was in your face catchy i don't want to say poppy but like modern day broadway sounding and i know lin manuel uh i'm blanking on the rest of his name i know he's super hot right now he's from the broadway world and he is super popular with hamilton and he is an excellent lyricist and a musician but i just think this movie the music for the most part especially the shiny song was branded to become a big broadway musical number and it just didn't fit within the confines of the broader realm of the film itself and you had like the opening songs which were beautiful which were nice, which to me didn't feel like an outright musical, and really the movie just doesn't feel like an outright musical to me, just with some songs thrown in, and I think it would have worked better like that, I don't know if I'm making any sense, honestly, I, I know I'm jumping around quite a bit, it's trying to be two different things, it's trying to appeal to two different audiences, You have the princess audiences that want to go there for the the musical numbers, the catchy tunes, but then you have the people that want to go and see something different from Disney, and I think they should have stayed on that different path. It was too tropey. I mean, it wasn't as tropey as it could have been. I really liked the story. I really liked the Moana character. I think the young woman who played her, who did the voice for her, did an outstanding job. She was a well rounded three dimensional character and she was a woman. She didn't need all that help. I like the idea that she went off and she's the one that helped Maui become maui at the end or actually him actually finding himself at the end of the film a mild spoiler i guess but i'm assuming that everybody and their mother has seen this movie like five times already given (laughs) how much money it's made so far i think it's 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 now surpassed frozen at the box office which is pretty amazing and that's pretty much all i've got to say i just wished it stayed within its period and didn't try to break away into something more poppy something more broadway musically you know that's kind of my main criticism and it's not i I know that like aladdin and the lion king kind of do this type of thing they make these current day references but like with aladdin it was the genie who did it and in some weird way it worked because it was the genie making these references in the lion king they were making these references but it wasn't like throughout the movie and There were other aspects of the film that I thought made up for that breaking of the time period mold. But uh, then again, I was a young child when I first saw those movies, so maybe it's the case now with Moana. But Moana is still a beautiful movie to look at. For the most part, the first few songs are wonderful. They're well produced. And I thought the voice acting was well done and, for the most part, well cast. I just had character issues with maui and overall story and crafting issues i suppose so i'm landing on 3.75 out of five only because i don't want to give it a four and i don't necessarily (laughs) want to move closer to three Uh, but it's still a good movie and i think it's by far better than frozen it's not as stupid as frozen and it's not trying to prove it's not trying to be anything that it's not like zootopia was and we both thought zootopia was a good movie
1: right on right on okay well that brings us to the end of the movies next week's movies are going to be nocturnal animals and loving both of which are in the theaters um and they ought to be very good so Without further ado, I think that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir?
0: Spiel on!
1: Alright, well the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by our music partners Cries of Solace. You can find them at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are of course the SLS Cast. So You can find us at SLScast.com You can send us an email to the show at SLScast.com You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me, this is Matt on Twitter at NitTwit12345 You can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget you can always subscribe. Subscribe to us on iTunes, favorite us on Stitcher Radio, and of course, get a hold of us on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Billy Bob Thornton. I get to say this. I quit flying years ago. I don't want to die with tourists.
0: Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week.